Welcome to Lord Bear Me Strength. This is the podcast where we ask God to bear us some strength. And then we use that strength to pray without ceasing, talk about beer, and digest the issues. And sometimes we quote the office. For your edification and our enjoyment. Because we have freedom in Christ. You're Lisa. And you're Marge. Now the Lord, Lord bear us strength. strength. Yay! How are you doing, Mark? I'm good. Yeah? How are you doing? I'm doing okay. I'm excited. You have an injury. A little bit, yeah. Look, I put a Band-Aid on it because it was dripping blood again. Oh. I'm so hardcore. Yeah. That looks epic, though. It's pretty cool. I haven't skinned my knee like this since I was... That one looks cool. 32, at least. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> like that would be yeah. cool if it's scarred right yeah i i'm hoping i get a little scar right here yeah is there like a does it go down yeah okay yeah because I, I hit the ground and then slid nice yeah it was nice you were saving a dog no i was saving my phone oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> nothing heroic i was trying to make it cooler but i mean you, you can't except maybe post you should post a picture of this so the people can see my gnarly injury. Yeah. Yeah. Show that I off. Should. A bad boy. Oh, hold on. Here, wait. I'll take the Band-Aid off. <laughs> I know that everybody wants to see this. Look at that. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. It it's gotten worse. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right. I'm going to put it back because these are new jeans. <laughs> <laughs> all right. But yeah, otherwise, I'm healing nicely. Good. Thank you. Thank you for being worried about me. Yeah. Thanks for all your thoughts and prayers for Lisa's knee. Yes, I will also set up the GoFundMe so mm-hmm. you can support my doctor's bills. Mm-hmm. No this problem. twenty-five cent band-aid. <laughs> what are you drinking today? Um, yeah. So we just raided your kitchen uh-huh. for this selection. You have the best thing in my kitchen right now. Well, that is soon to be debated. Okay. This is Mountain Dew Baja Blast. I've never had one of these. Chef is. Yeah. You, wait, mean, you've never had one? No. I stopped drinking. You lied to me? No, I told you I never had it. Oh, yeah. You said you didn't like it. Oh, I just know that I I don't like it. Oh. So I have had a sip of my son's before. I don't think that counts. I've so never had one of my own. You lied to me again. <laughs> I'm having a hard time keeping up. <laughs> What's happening? You said you never had it, and now you have had it. I've never had my own okay. is what I'm referring to. I have tasted it. How Get about your that? story straight. I'm trying so hard. <laughs> I have my very own can of it today. Okay. And it's dripping moisture down my face. Why are you holding face. it so weird? I'm looking at it because the can is a work of art. Yeah. I mean, the can is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, there's nothing more appetizing than hearing that you're about to drink a blast of natural and artificial tropical lime flavor. I mean, if that doesn't get you... Get your mouth watering. That's what gets me up in the morning. Yeah. Well, it does have caffeine in it, right? You can't go to Taco Bell without it, really. That's what I hear. I just don't go to Taco Bell. Or you can do that. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to try it. I'm going to see what I think about this. Go for it. It tastes like Kool-Aid. Is (laughs) it supposed to taste like Kool-Aid? Like, it tastes like my childhood. What? It tastes like cheap Kool-Aid. Huh. That we would mix up in, on summer days. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Imagine drinking it while you're eating like a taco. Mm. I actually do like <laughs> lime flavored stuff. <laughs> I did you're just really brush my teeth bad also. At acting as well. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to get past the nasty toothpaste oh, interaction. That's you know? a you problem though. 
Yeah, it is. <clears throat> so anyway, it's not bad. I don't hate it. How okay. about that? Okay. I think I'd probably like it better with ice. But straight from the can, it's not bad. It's okay. I stopped this? drinking Mountain Dew when I got pregnant with Ruthie because that was the same time that my thyroid freaked out. Mm-hmm. And any kind of caffeine just made it worse. So I quit until I started drinking coffee. Then I went back to caffeine and mm-hmm. lower sugar forms. Gotcha. Yeah. So what do you have over there? What's the I pink have... thing? <laughs> Everyone's going to think I'm, like, such a nerd, because, well, maybe Quinn, yeah. Quinn always calls me a nerd. I mean, you are a nerd. For this. But, like, (laughs) I don't know. When she says it, it's like, anyway. (laughs) My nerd is a term of affection. (laughs) Um, It's PewDiePie's G Fuel. It's PewDiePie's. I didn't know that. You didn't tell me that earlier. Well, yeah, because it's, like, Uh nerd. (laughs) (laughs) See, this is why I, I didn't want to tell anyone. I didn't know anyone. what we were working with here. I didn't know you were a PewDiePie fan. Have you not watched PewDiePie? No. Yeah. He is like Baja Blastomy. Mm-hmm. I have only seen like clips of him in other contexts. Yeah. Never sat down and watched a PewDiePie video. Yeah. Is he still around? Is mm-hmm. he still doing his thing? Okay. Good for him. Interesting. But it's a really good so drink. He promotes this as his product. I mean, yeah. He, but like, he concocted it in his I, kitchen. Yeah, all by himself. Nice. Um, but it's a powder that you put in water and shake yeah. it up. Yeah. What's G Fuel? It's an energy drink. Okay. But is it just sugar? No, there's no sugar in it. It's mm. like, and it's really nice because it's water based instead of like, uh, different. What else are you gonna drink? Well, <laughs> like what is it's soda? supposed to milk based? No, shut up. <laughs> Soda's water based, but it's carbonated like, water. Yeah, but it's carbonated and uh-huh. it's like thick. And, like, do you want to drink? I mean, I kind of do now. It's, yeah. like, it's not super cold, but, like, oh, it's, like, more refreshing, I would say, than, like, because soda's kind of heavy. See, I don't know. I think that's kind of thick, too. Really? Yeah. Huh. Well, like, after, after like, a can of soda compared mm-hmm. to, like, mm-hmm. this, mm-hmm. this feels more refreshing to me. What in the world are they sweetening it with? Because yeah. it's pretty dang sweet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway... So that's what we're sipping on today. Yeah. Yeah. It's not beer. Because this is... I'm already tired. It's so an important it's subject. Well, oh, yeah. What's the subject? Uh, it's sex. Okay. Yeah. Uh, maybe a little disclaimer right up front. Yeah. This might not be the episode to listen to with your children. <laughs> Unless... Because we know you listen with your kids. Yeah. There's a lot of kids I know that listen, which is great. Love it. My kids listen. They're my best critics. Um, if you're a homeschooler and you need a little bit of a sex education resource, here you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Do have your kids listen because they will learn a lot and they will know also what not to learn. We're going to we're gonna do that. Yeah. Putting that up front though. Yeah. Just be discerning. Mm-hmm. With I'm mm-hmm. 26 and I feel like I'm, I'm still like, ah, maybe I shouldn't listen to this <laughs> <laughs> it's too late. You're on it. Okay. You're in this episode. I'm nervous. We are going to uh, hear from you about yeah. how how to have sex. How to <laughs> <laughs> now? Okay. Also, to be clear, that's not what we're going to cover. <laughs> uh, so in this episode, it's not the sex talk. It's not. We can do that though if you want to. Like, let us know. No. Go ahead and request a sex talk. From... Oh, okay. We're not doing that. But we are going to talk about purity culture mm-hmm. and sexuality. Yes. And how the church is kind of 
screwed with our brains a little bit in regards to what is and what is not okay to talk about. And our experiences. Yeah. Yeah. Interacting amongst the fundamentalist evangelical Christians in our lives. Yeah. Which used to be us. Yeah. Those are the things you can look forward to in this episode. So if you don't want your kids to hear about all of that, usher them away right now. Put them in the closet for the next hour or so. And, and then, then you they'll can... come out of the closet. Oh no! <laughs> I didn't mean that. Yeah. <laughs> If you I'm put sorry. them in there, they're gonna come out. It's your fault. No, <laughs> not no, not no. you. The parents. You put your kid in. I'm sorry. <laughs> Why do you let me talk? You should not. Oops. Oh my god. Anyway, the title. Of it. <laughs> the to- actual title is "Sex is not a bad word." Why is it not a bad word? Because God created sex. What is the definition of sex? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> mm. More Baja Blast. I laugh a lot when I'm uncomfortable. There is actually, I mean, <laughs> yeah, we're going to be laughing a lot. That's our third disclaimer. <laughs> yeah, we're going to talk about why sex is a good thing. Mm. Sex is created by God to be a gift. And it is a good thing. Mm-hmm. And we mess it up. And we overcomplicate some things regarding it. You and I? Uh, probably. <laughs> I mean, I think everybody has their own yeah. um, issues. Because everybody's coming from a different uh, perspective as far as, like, uh, the way they were raised mm-hmm. to view sex and how to handle it. talked about and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. So we're going to discuss all of that. It's There's a lot. Sorry, my dog keeps hitting the microphone. With his yeah, Hobbs has been neutered, and so this is all news what? to him. He <laughs> he has no idea what we're talking about. Also, he doesn't speak English, so... I think he understands a lot, though. Okay. So, I I brought with, uh, with myself here <laughs> uh, a resource. I brought a resource to help us in discussing this very big topic. Uh, I brought a book called The Great Sex Rescue. This is by Sheila Ray Gregoire. She's personal personal hero of mine. Gregoire. Even though she's like on the opposite end of the spectrum, the Myers-Briggs personality types. There you go. <laughs> she's still my Look hero. Look at you go. I know, right? I know things. I've learned a lot uh, from doing this podcast with you, Marge. <laughs> so I have this book. I deliberately brought this one and not some other ones that I have been gifted and read mm-hmm. uh, earlier in my marriage regarding sex and whatnot. But we'll kind of discuss them a little bit, too. So that she does start this book, though. The Great Sex Rescue literally opens with a definition of sex. Do you know what she defined, what Sheila Ray Gregoire defines sex as? We already said it. She defines it as a gift oh. from God. Mm-hmm. I was going to say something else. On the next page, she talks about what it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. So I think I think we all pretty much know. We are professionals. The definition. So I'm not going to go ahead there now. I'm Later on, I might say more. more as far as words go, we're going to use uh, the words, right? Okay. Yeah. I'm 40 years old. I can say the words. I'll prove it. <laughs> I can do this. I can do this. <laughs> yeah. I think we should probably start, though, like, with our own 
kind of perspectives, like where we're coming from. Sure. As far as like how we grew up. Mm-hmm. Um, Why don't you go ahead and start? Because oh, I wanted you to start. Oh. <laughs> I feel like I've already talked too much. No, you did a great intro. I think if you start, then I can kind of like fill in gaps for like what's been taught to me recently. Okay. okay. Because like your story goes back farther than mine. It does. I'm very old. You're just but, older. Well, I mean, mine starts, yeah, before you were even born. Mm-hmm. So, you know, okay, I will say this. When I was preparing for for this episode, one story kept coming back to me. And um, it's not even necessarily sex-related, but it really shaped the way I thought about um, people mm-hmm. and um, sexuality. So, anyway, it's, it happened at... Camp. It's the same church camp that Ruthie came back from like two months ago. It was Assembly of God camp, and I was younger than her. I think I was 14. And every every day after lunch, and I think Ruthie talked about how they still do this, they have a, like a gathering in the sanctuary where the kids all meet first, and then the adults, the leaders, and the counselors and stuff are off having like some kind of meeting. You know, I don't know what all happens there because I never went as an adult. But all of us kids were in the sanctuary, right? We're waiting for the adults to come back, which seems like a bad idea looking back on it, that they left us pretty much unsupervised. And there was there was at least one adult there because he was filling the time by being on stage and he was calling out the people who had birthdays, the kids that were celebrating their birthday on that day while at camp. And so... We're going to call him up and we're going to sing happy birthday for them. And he calls up this one girl, reads her name off of the sheet of, you know, names. And she comes up and this was was 13 or 14. So it was like, it's probably 95, 94, 95. Clinton was still president. And so she comes up. And I start hearing these these calls from the audience saying, she looks like Hillary Clinton in, like, not a flattering way. Like, these, these kids from the audience were telling this girl on stage that she looked like Hillary Clinton. And then they started saying that, no, she looks like Chelsea Clinton. And then, like, more people started to agree. And they, and I'm noticing this is all boys calling out. And they're saying these things, like, to make fun of her. Like, this was a pretty heavily Republican group of kids. So calling them Chelsea, calling her Chelsea Clinton was not flattering. And it quickly turned from that to, oh, she's a dog. And they started to bark at her. This girl on stage is being made fun of for her appearance by a bunch of church kids. And I remember I was like watching this horrified because I'm thinking she's not ugly. Like she's not classically pretty you know but she's not ugly and I kind of put myself in the same category as her I'm like we're the same level of attractiveness like what if that was me what if I had gotten called up there for having a birthday what would they have said about me and I just started to like melt down watching this happen I mean this girl obviously burst into tears and ran off the stage and the guy that had been up there started to scold the group of kids you know but Like, in my mind, he didn't do a good enough job. Like, I don't know what he could have done, but he didn't, he wasn't appropriately horrified in my mind. But, like, I've thought about that girl ever since, you know. It's been, what, 26, however many years. I just remember thinking, these boys 
instantly evaluated her based on appearance. It really cemented in my brain that that's what's happening everywhere I go. Boys are doing this to all girls. They're looking, they're evaluating, and if they don't like what they see, that they will attack. That they have zero regard for my feelings. They just want something pretty to look at, and that they don't care about my soul, basically, because they're willing to do that to some girl on her birthday, you know? Mm. So... That's what I learned at church camp that year. And it really shaped the way that I tried to like present myself as a youth. Now, I never got into makeup or really doing my hair or anything because I, at the same time, I knew this about boys and I knew that girls were doing the same thing too. But I was also really kind of stubborn in that I wanted to be honest and authentic about how I looked. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, God gave me this to work with. So I'm going to do the best I can, but I'm not going to lie about it. You know, which in my mind, makeup and like covering all my imperfections and stuff was lying. I wanted, if somebody was going to like me, I wanted them to like me for who I was. But I tried to work with what I had. For me, that meant um, staying skinny. Uh, and so I would like, starting at age 13, I would stand in front of my full length mirror and pull on the places where I saw fat piling up and I would like decide, okay, I needed to work out more right there. I needed to eat less so that my thighs didn't get any bigger. I would, I'd tell myself that if my stomach wasn't completely flat, then I had to miss a meal. And like, I never, I, I was never like actually anorexic. I kind of dabbled with like puking if I ate too much you know I could make myself puke I never got into an actual eating disorder you know so I don't want to make light of the people that do really struggle with that but I definitely um put my value and my worth in weighing under 100 pounds Mm -hmm. and I did that until after I had two kids that stayed with me because I figured I might not have a great face And I'm still waiting for my boobs to come in, but I can stay skinny. Mm -hmm. All of that was because I felt like I had to look a certain way to have any value. And in my mind, I was trying to avoid what happened to that girl on that day. And like, she was on an actual stage, but to me, just leaving my house was like the stage, you know, there was, I felt a lot of pressure to avoid like what happened to her in any sort of form, you know, like... I would just be out and about and I'd be looking around. I'd be like, okay, I'm almost the skinniest one here. I'm okay. You know, like that's how my brain would work. I would compare myself to other people and be like, okay, they're all better than me in some other way, but at least I'm skinny. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You were like, and you're being afraid of, it sounds like you were angry at the boys for doing that. I was scared to death of the boys. So you weren't angry at them. You were scared of them. And that fear led you to do the same thing that they were doing, which was objectifying women. Right. I was exactly. I was objectifying myself because I believe that's what all boys, all people were doing. And so, yeah, I was scared of being objectified and being found to have no value. So you were objectifying yourself. Absolutely. Yes. That's horrible. Yeah. I'm so sorry. And, you know, that's one of those things that I've had to like deconstruct over the years. And, I mean, we'll talk about how that affected me also as we get into other stuff. And it might not seem like that has much to do with sex, but it does 
because like, this is what I felt like I was bringing to my future marriage. You know, I wanted somebody to want to marry me for who I was, but I also wanted to like be able to give something back. I don't know. It just felt like I don't want to show up to a party without bringing a present, you know, in my head. What good am I? Well, I might have to shop for bras in the junior department, but I also shop for all of my clothes there. You know, you're welcome, future husband. You know, I don't know. There's a lot there. It's a, it's a mess. Yeah. That, yeah. That's what I'm saying. I was kind of a mess going into it. And uh, this was at the same time that the book I Kissed Dating Goodbye was going around. Yeah. The whole purity culture was really taken off. I mean, yeah, it's been a thing for a while, but like, yeah, like it was kind of, it really got cemented into evangelical culture yeah. around the time I was a teenager mm-hmm. with that, with that book. Mm-hmm. That same year that the girl got barked off the stage, a presentation was done using an illustration from that book. It was just definitely a big, it was a big deal the time I was growing up. This whole idea that dating is like practice for divorce because you're going to oh. expose your heart to this uh, intimate connection with somebody else and there's a possibility that it's going to end and you're going to get used to that feeling of getting close to somebody and then being done with them. So that's why um, I Kiss Dating Goodbye promoted more of a courtship kind of situation. To where, I mean, you basically decide you're going to get married before you even start pursuing somebody. You know, like, this is somebody that I wouldn't want to spend time with unless I would consider dating them. Or, I'm sorry, (laughs) consider marrying them. Yeah. So it's almost like as soon as you enter into this process, you're engaged. You know, you take it that seriously. You don't leave a whole lot of room for not getting married. You know, like, that's the whole point. It's very black and white. Of courting somebody. Yeah. So even though I didn't read it, everyone else in my youth group had, and I was hearing about it, and I was like, this doesn't make any sense. And I really, I resented this whole concept, even though, like, I wasn't looking to date. I didn't date anybody until Tim, and I was 18. I was almost 19 by the time I started going out with Tim, you know? I wasn't interested in just, like... Not hooking up, because that implies having sex, but just casually mm-hmm. pursuing somebody. I I mean, I, I had the mindset more of, like, a courtship kind of situation. Why is that? Because, well, for one thing, I just knew I wanted to marry Tim. So I was kind of just like, I'll just wait until Tim's interested, and then, boom, we'll get married. So I just, part of me didn't think that anybody wanted to date me, so I was protecting myself. By just saying, like, no, I'm not even going to mess around with that. It was, again, it was this whole, like, I had internalized so many bad messages about boys and what they wanted and all these things. that I just, I was so scared. I remember, like, okay, even as an adult, if somebody that I find attractive starts talking to me, there's this voice in my head that starts screaming, like, you're hot, you should not be talking to me, this is a mistake! You should stop. You should realize who you're talking to. And, like, I'm just, like, waiting for them to, like, realize that I'm not at the same level as them and, like, lose interest. So it feels like this insane pressure. Mm-hmm. This is how I grew up. Okay. These are the thoughts running through my head as I am a teenager. I mean, there was also... So I was also really scared 
to be in any kind of a relationship with a guy because of the message that was going around that guys are going to push your boundaries. You hear all the time, guys are only interested in one thing, you know? And once I realized what that was, <laughs> it's like, wow, that's terrifying. So they just need to stay over there and I'll be over here and never the twain shall meet, you know? And then, but I knew Tim from when we were kids and I was like, there is a good guy. There is somebody who will not push my boundaries and who will respect me as a person. Not push your boundaries? What do you mean? Like sexually, you know, uh, as far as you hear all the time about this situation where guys, girls, they're going out and of course they'll always start out, they'll kiss, you know, and then the guy is going to want more and he's going to start feeling her up and he's going to want to have sex and she's going to have to say no because she's not going to be ready. He's going to push. And then if she keeps saying no, he might rape her, you know? Mm-hmm. That is what I saw on TV. That's what I saw in movies. That's what I was told. You know, we had whole Sunday school classes as a youth group about the, like, separated, of course. Yeah. Take the girls in here and tell them, oh, watch out. The guy's going to rape you if you don't have sex with him. <laughs> Putting all of the pressure on the girl to say no and to keep out of those situations, mm-hmm. you know? Like, I don't know what the guys were being told. I just know that the way that it came across was that, hey, girls, you have to be responsible for the guy not going too far. You have to make sure that you don't put yourself in a compromising situation. Mm -hmm. You have to carry mace in your purse in case you need it. These are the things that we were told anytime the, the guys and girls were separated. Like yeah. Angela from The Office. She's like, I don't need this. I have a rape flute. Yes. You remember that? Yes. Always carry your rape flute, ladies. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know, like, as far as books that were being circulated at that time, a big one for the guys was Every Man's Battle, which, um, like, really pushes the message that if a dude is struggling with lust or whatever. Like, they promote this concept of bouncing your eyes. Where if you see yes. an attractive woman, mm-hmm. you're supposed to just bounce those eyes right off of her. Just look at the ceiling. Look somewhere else. Look mm-hmm. anywhere but at that attractive woman. Mm-hmm. You know, and so, I mean, the way that that starts to... Well, first of all, it makes it the girl's problem just for being attractive. You know? Like, she doesn't get treated with respect or, like, a real human being because she has boobs. That's the way that kind of comes across, right? Like, if he can't look her in the eyes because he might lust after her, it's like it's her problem. It's like she needs to cover up more. When really, that's the guy's problem. Yeah, I think you need to back up in saying that part of that teaching of women... Those young girls that were us. Mm-hmm. Like, was that? So I think we're getting into talking about modesty now. With yeah. the whole, like, things that have been taught to us. Mm-hmm. Modesty is not a bad thing. It's God calls us to be humble. Mm-hmm. That's the idea. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But then, well, because we, we've been in a very fundamental church for a while. Mm-hmm. So we've we've spent time, we kind of are familiar with uh, the ins and outs, I guess. But, like, having... Some things have been blatantly said, and other things have been 
blatantly implied, mm-hmm. if that makes any sense. Oh, yeah. So things that have been told to me anyway are things like cover up your body, mm-hmm. and which I've never had a problem with, really. Mm-hmm. But, like, um, it's like, yeah, duh, I would cover up my body. I don't want to walk around naked, you know? Mm-hmm. And, like, like, common sense kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And, like, but then stuff, like, that was implied, like, flirting is bad. Mm. And um, don't pursue men. Mm-hmm. Um, men will pursue you if mm-hmm. they want to know you. Mm-hmm. So in the church, in my church group as a youth we were very separated by sexes Mm -hmm. and it is like it gets to the point where it's it becomes very awkward for Mm -hmm. a adolescent to be told that you know men are going to objectify you Mm -hmm. and the men are told don't go for a girl unless you absolutely know you want this one you know Mm -hmm. so like also don't look at her also don't look because you might be tempted to last and you can't (laughs) If you find her attractive, pray about it, and God will tell you if you should marry her or not, and then you can go ask her dad (laughs) Mm -hmm. if you can date her, which is courting, which is, Mm -hmm. anyway, like, there's a time and a place for all of that, and Mm -hmm. everyone has their own struggle, and I'm not saying this is right, this is wrong, but, like, I just want to say that's not the only way that Mm -hmm. you can go about having a relationship with the opposite sex like yeah like courting is not in the bible it's not prescribed by the bible right we came up with that also having a relationship with the opposite sex is a great thing for friendship you know Uh like and people have said that before too about like guys can't be friends with girls because they don't think like that like maybe you don't think like that Uh but you can't speak for everyone i'm not gonna speak for all women here either right so, like, um, anyway, so with some of my story, anyway, um, going to, like, marriage conferences and youth camps and youth and just that kind of stuff. In marriage conferences, specifically, mm-hmm. uh, they would encourage everyone to go to a marriage conference, even if, like, mm-hmm. even if you're not married. Right. Um, even if you're... Because you might someday be. You'll probably you be someday be, prepared. is what they would always say. Yeah. It's like the percentages of you being married are really, really high. Like, okay, well... But yeah, I was taught that if your husband is wanting to have sex and you're really tired, like, you better have sex with him because, Mm -hmm. like, he's gonna find someone else to have sex with or Mm -hmm. be watching porn and it's your fault. It's on you. Yeah, and it wasn't... It wasn't wasn't blatantly said, it's your fault. Uh Uh-huh. But that's the way it gets portrayed. But it was said that you need to die to yourself in this way, uh-huh. always. Right. And that's like just with the Ephesians 5 stuff. Like, mm-hmm. wives submit to your husbands and everything or whatever. Mm-hmm. And like, that's one sentence in the whole chapter that you're taking out of context. And like, mm-hmm. um, it's not that black and white. Nope. Life is not black and white. Jesus was not black and white. He was black and white with the truth. And the truth has never changed. And black and white and the fact that all people are people. They're not just bodies. Absolutely. There's a name for that, what you were talking about. That idea that women can never say no Mm -hmm. when their husband wants sex. It's the obligation sex message. Mm -hmm. And uh, this book that I brought, it talks quite a bit about how damaging that is to women and to marriages. 
Yeah, I have a question for you, Marge. Yeah. Are you ready? I think I have an answer. Okay. Because this one's a thinker. All right? Okay. If you could have any animal in the world as a pet, what would it be? An owl. Why? Because they're awesome. Yeah, but you'd have to feed it. I'd be okay feeding an owl. Okay. You know what they eat? They eat mice, don't they? Yeah. You're going to feed it little frozen mice? Drop drop frozen mice down its skull? I would be able to do that if I had an owl. Yeah. Okay. Like, it would be worth it. Get it to exercise, take it out to the fields, mm-hmm. and send it off. Yeah. I would do falconry with it. Absolutely. Yeah. I w- well, that would be sweet. Um, every time, like, I have a fantasy character that has a pet, it's always, like, an owl mm-hmm. or a bird of some sort. I think that would be so cool to have something on your shoulder. Yes. And just walking around and stuff. Uh-huh. And you can send them off to do tasks for you. Right. You know? And then they just come back and they're just chilling. Yeah. They're very low maintenance. Yeah. They kind of take care of themselves. It's like Ideal. Yeah. Okay. That was not a thinker. No. I was kind of being facetious. I knew what you were going to say. You did? Yeah. I was setting you up to talk about owls. Oh. Yeah. Thanks. Did you know a group of owls is called a parliament? Parliament! I did know that! Yes! <laughs> Isn't that cool? Yes. They're so sophisticated. They have the best group name. And British. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Sweet. Okay. What kind of owl? Because there's yeah, lots. Uh, my go-to when I was younger was a great horned owl, mm-hmm. but I don't know, I kind of like the smaller ones now. Yeah. But I could do like a pygmy. Pygmies are really tiny though. Or a tawny owl. Those are so yeah. cute. We saw a screech owl one Screech time. owls are cool. Because we were heading out. He was They're just... like so red, aren't oh. they? Well, there's two phases. There's the red phase, and I think it's just called the brown phase. Okay. Yeah. So there's a red one at the well, bird, bird sanctuary. sanctuary. We're gonna go. We should go there. But I'm waiting for fall because I don't okay. want to like sweat the whole time. What about you? What would be your pet? Or... Oh man, you know what? I always had a dream as a child of having a zebra that I could ride like a horse. You know, really? And yeah, like I was kind of making plans, <laughs> and then I found out that there was a guy in the early 1900s or late 1800s. You're zebra plans? Yeah. <laughs> Because I was like, okay, everybody's got horses. It's been done. How can I do that? Because I love horses. But put my own spin on it. Do what nobody else is doing. Looking around, nobody's got pet zebras. Well, I found out there's a reason. Some dude had tried to domesticate zebras and actually trained a team of them to pull a coach. Like 1800s, something like that. Oh, really? Yeah, it did not go well. It was awful. And they are awful. And they... So there's, like, some research into this. And some animals have a particular, like, a gene that makes them susceptible to domestication. Okay. And zebras do not have it. Do cats have it? Yes. Okay. Yes. But cats are, like, one of the earliest domesticated animals, Mm. you know. So they have it, but they also have they're the gene not happy about that it. makes them snobs about <laughs> it. Exactly. So they're here. They'll take our food, but... They come, they eat, they leave. Yeah, that's they're going to the stay superior about it the whole time. And that's fine. You know, we love them for what they are. But yeah, zebras can, like, kill you. Oh. Yeah. Like they trample you? Yeah. They are just, like, very easily spooked. Um, they're not, like, trainable. And, like, we don't don't even realize how trainable horses are a lot of the time because we just kind of take it for granted. But zebras do not have, like, that cognitive way of thinking. If you throw the ball, they're not going to fetch it. They will not bring it back. 
No, they will just take off and run the other direction, and you'll never see them again. Yeah. Yeah, that kind of thing. Well, you could just get a horse and paint it. I could. That would be cool. But instead of that, I think what I'd really like is a turtle. I would love to have a pet turtle. <laughs> that... Why do you say it like that? Because <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> I like to pronounce the T's. A turtle. A turtle. <laughs> yes. Um, and specifically a turtle, um, which is one that lives in the water. Right. I would like to have a water turtle. Don't throw a tortoise in the water. I mean, they can swim, but eventually they're going to tire and sink. And that would be sad. It's just a swimming rock. Yeah. So what I want to, I would like, well, I don't know. I would like a tortoise pet as well. Tortoise. Yeah. Who I could take outside and roam in the garden with. For hundreds of years. But, see, it's kind of cruel to have them as pets, turtles and tortoises. (laughs) Because most of them need to. You just sound British all of a sudden. (laughs) It's just that one word. Well, when you put them together in the same sentence, it's like, oh, oh really? Yeah, so I turtles. <laughs> tortoises. A turtle friend. <laughs> so it's, it's cruel to domestic. Well, because most of them, like the ones that you can just go and pick up off the road here in Missouri, they need to do their turtle version of hibernate to really stay healthy. I've seen over the hedge. Yeah, so you get it. I get it. That's science. No. Yeah. You can get an African species, and then they don't need to do that, but then they're very far away from where they should be, and then that's cruel, so... They swam from Africa. I'm kind of doomed to just never have a a turtle pet. (laughs) (laughs) Because I just can't live with myself. I had a turtle This was like a mini uh, science time with Lisa. Yeah. Yeah. You had a turtle? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you you knew that, didn't you? I don't think I did. I think I've told you like at least twice. Nope. I remember this. You've never told me. We might have it on recording that I told you. Who was your turtle? Let's not look for that. Let's just (laughs) (laughs) tell me about your turtle now, Marge. His name was Dan. Yeah, see, I have not heard of Dan. I would remember that. That's precious. My cousins got him for me in Florida. Oh my gosh. I told you this. Is he a Reddard Slater? No. Oh, what was he? I don't know. It was the other one that I can't ever... Oh, I remember you asking about, like, what other kinds. Yeah. Did he have, like, colors on the bottom of his shell? Mm Mm-hmm. It was a yellow, green, and he just didn't have... He looked like a red-headed slider. Yeah. His face was a bit different. Uh Uh-huh. And he didn't have Mm -hmm. red or anything. Coming from Florida, he could be a couple different things. So... I mean, the next most logical one around here is probably the painted turtle. Oh. Yeah. But they're usually pretty brightly colored on their plaster. The bottom shell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, he was fun. Um, and then he why got too he, big. He got too big. Yeah. Neat. I named him Dan because my grandpa just died. His name was oh. Dan. Oh. And, no, like, my grandpa... Anyway. It was, like, a fun thing. Yeah. It wasn't okay. a sad thing. In, For me, anyway, I thought it was fun. In memoriam, I named my turtle Dan. Yeah. Okay. Dan was great. I respect that. He would... I like looking at him, looking at stuff. Mm-hmm. There's just something about turtle faces. Yeah. I just think they are the cutest. Yeah, they are. Uh, some of them, not all of them. Some, right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Don't care much for snapping turtles. Or like the humongous tortoises that have been around for like... Mm. How how do they live that long, by the way? How is that a thing? Very slow metabolism. Really? I guess. Well, you should know. 
Yeah. Science. I mean, well, I think time. that's one of the things that science is still trying to figure out. Like, Greenland sharks, they're finding them that have, like, bullets in them from wars that were fought, like, 500 years ago. Stuff like that. Like, Dude. Yeah. And they live up where it's really cold, you know, around the Arctic Circle. So yeah. the cold kind of keeps them they're like from in a, aging. A freezer. Yeah. They just huh. barely move for 500 years. Maybe that's what we should do if we want to live longer. Just well, cryogenics. That's a thing. Yeah. Cryogenic science. Yeah. You freeze yourself after you die. It's bizarre. Yeah. Well, before you die, I guess, if that's how you want to go. And we're all going to burn, so it's like... Right? <laughs> that's super Be helpful. ironic. Yeah. My question for you is where in the world would you most want to travel? Oh, man. See, I think about this. I just have a lot of answers. I can't I can't land on just one. Have you ever done, like, you can't land on one? I mean, the one that I guess pops up the most is Ireland, and I don't know why, hmm. you know? That's cool. Like, I have reasons for wanting to go to, like, England or I mean, Australia. I don't know why. Or I... Like, I don't have, like, any compelling reason to want to go to Ireland, except for it speaks to me. That's a compelling reason. I guess. It's a huge compelling reason. Got. Because of, like, the landscape? The landscape? I like the culture. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, yeah, I think it's beautiful. I feel like I would feel at home there. Yeah. There's a lot of redheads. Where my I feel people like you'd, are. You'd fit just right in. Yeah. I want to go to Scotland for the same reason. Really? Yeah. Because, like, okay. I just think that culture is, like, more me. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go. Okay. <laughs> it's round really trip. Cool. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So you said Ireland and then England, maybe next year. Yeah. Uh, England, was... because of all the, like, history and, I mean, again, cannot beat, like, the English countryside. Like, give me a cottage on the English countryside and just leave me alone. You know? <laughs> Be happy for forever. <laughs> that And then, like, Australia was the other one because mm-hmm. as a child, for a while, I really wanted to be a marine biologist and I wanted to go work on the Great Barrier Reef. Yeah. You know? That is the holy grail uh-huh. to anybody interested in marine biology or whatever. So, that and then just all of the really unique other animals in Australia... I just, you know, as a kid who's obsessed with animals, that seems like the place to go. Yeah, it's definitely the place to go. Like, the opposite of here. Yeah. Also kind of scary, though. Like, now I know more about, like, how many things can kill you in Australia. Mm -hmm. Rethinking it a little bit. (laughs) Fewer things are poisonous in England. I'll put it that way. Yeah. Yeah. Venomous. I'm sorry. Do you think you're going to go in your lifetime? No. I I just don't see it happening. I'm not much of a traveler. It is really hard for me to leave now that I have, like, my little setup yeah. where I live, you know? It is really hard for me to extract myself out of there. There is so much that I do, like, on a daily basis that nobody else does. You know, I have to squirt the medicine down the cat's throat. I have to sort the mealworms in the mealworm farm. You know, take out the pupae, move them to their drawer, move the beetles out of the pupae drawer. And make sure the mealworms are all fed so they keep reproducing. I gotta, you know, take care of the chickens, put the turkeys to bed. Stupid turkeys roost themselves in miscellaneous places. And I have to find them. (laughs) I have to knock them down and make sure they get to where they're supposed to go. And then I have to count them and then close them up. Tuck them in their little beds. (laughs) You know, I'm the only one that does a lot of this stuff. Like, Ruthie knows about it. 
Tim probably doesn't even know half the stuff I do before I go to bed every mm-hmm. night. I'm just whipping around the house and going outside and whatnot. And he's like, is there anything I can do to help? And I'm like, not really. You know, it's just all stuff that I've always done. So that's why it's hard to leave. Because you don't want to teach someone else. I mean, I have done it. I've left my nephew with a list. Yeah. And he can do it. Yeah. It's just a lot, you know. For somebody that doesn't, like, have an emotional investment in, like, this cat's health, like, why would you... Why would you bother squirting medicine? Tracking him down, you know, holding him still, yeah. prying his little cat mouth open, <laughs> squirting it in there, and then rinsing out the syringe so you can do it again in the morning. You know? If he's not your cat, why would you care that much? I because know. he care about you. Well, yeah. Also, I pay him cash. And so. cash. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's just hard to leave. Maybe in, you know, later years, things will be simplified. Something. Yes. That's a lame excuse. I know. I'm aware of that, but it's all I've got. No, it can happen. I just have to be able to prepare adequately. Mm-hmm. So when you turn 40, we will go to Ireland and Scotland, mm-hmm. and I will start preparing now. <laughs> You'll go one day. I will. Yeah. So will you. We're going to go together. Okay. I was talking about modesty with my mom the other day. And, yeah. Um, we were like getting into talking about all this kind of thing and how like teaching modesty to men is not a thing. Right. That's just not a thing. That's not something the church does. So that's one of my issues. Okay. Yeah. Because despite all of the bad messages and all of the internalized crap that I've accumulated over the years... I have a very strong sex drive. Anybody who knows me well knows I'm kind of a horn dog, you know? I do not apologize. One of my issues has been seeing this whole message portrayed to women that we have to cover up, we have to make sure that we don't, like, attract a male gaze or whatever unduly, and yet every spring, summer, whatever, guys start coming to church wearing polos and their forearms are hanging out. And some of these guys have some really nice forearms, all right? I like arms. I like polo season, okay? Because mm-hmm. there's there's some guys that I know that have, like, the good, like, the muscles underneath, you know? And then the, I, I mean, I like the tops of the arms, too. Nobody's telling a guy, hey, wear long sleeves to church. Because you might cause Lisa to be tempted. Mm-hmm. That's never something I've ever heard. Yeah. Yeah. Because men are visual creatures. Yeah. Well, I'm an artist. I notice things. I notice beauty. That's what, I think that's a ridiculous thing to say as well, that men are visual creatures. Like, mm. Do women not advise them? The concept of women needing to cover up, right? Mm-hmm. And how it's women's responsibility to protect men from sinning in such a way. And that's a, a way that we can serve our brothers, right? Right. Is by making sure that we have no shin, skin showing. Or shins. <laughs> no, no shins. Don't look at my God shin. God forbid. Um, so the way that was internalized for me was that my body is gross. And that uh, like the changes that were happening to it like during puberty and stuff were gross. Hmm. And that I should be ashamed this is why it's irresponsible to continue to promote these cookie cutter ideas. 
you know, when God calls us to love, it is not loving to keep shoving some harmful message in somebody's face when they need to hear the opposite. This guy is visually stimulated. That means all men, or like if you happen to be an author and write a book and you know about, you know, yourself or whatever, and maybe the guys that you've talked to even. Because they're taking, people who say that are taking the majority of Mm -hmm. men, because the majority of men are visually stimulated. In some way, you know. The majority of women are too, you know, so... Um, well, that's one of the big issues that I have had growing up is that the way sex is presented within Christian context is that it is for men, that sex is for men. You know, these books that I read that Tim and I read together about sex as a newly married couple present it like the guy has the needs. The guy wants the sex. The guy likes sex. Mm-hmm. Therefore, it's a woman's job to keep him happy. You know, they're like literally. I have not read any of these books. Good. I'm not going to let you. You can have this one. Okay. You can have The Great Sex Rescue by Sheila Ray Gregoire. And that's the only one you need. <laughs> okay. No, there's actually a couple of others that are very helpful. Me just being me, though. Like, I just want to figure it out myself. Yeah. You know? I do. I totally get that. Like, I don't. If I ever have a kid, which I won't, but like, if I ever have a kid, like, I'm not going to read any book. I don't read parenting books. I won't, I'm not going to read... You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I do. Why would you do that to yourself? Well, okay, so I didn't... I didn't set out to read these sex books. Uh, they were given to me, and you then... on the top of your reading list? No, I, I was kind of like you, and like when we got married, I hadn't read any of them. If things had gone great, we never would have read the books. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So it wasn't until we that needed help... That makes sense, yeah. ...that we went to get help, and what happened was... The books made it worse. These books told us things that we were not finding to be true about ourselves and that we couldn't believe to be true about, like, everybody else, you know, like... What do you mean? About, like, how sex was just supposed to be something that women did Mm -hmm. out of obligation, you know, to keep men from struggling or going to porn or whatever. And so, like... I mean, I totally bought it. I didn't I didn't know any better, you know, and it kind of went along with everything else that I'd been told. So I tried so hard to do this, you know, like the way that they're saying, they're saying, hey, you know what? A guy just, he needs the release. He needs you to be available because he has stress in his life. And so he needs to be able to come to you for that. So I'm like, okay. So anyway, but I'll, yeah, the books were reinforcing these really negative ideas that we had about sex and it did not help mm-hmm. at all. It made things worse. And um, it really drove a wedge into our marriage because now we're trying to fit into these boxes that our personalities have no business trying to be in. And really there were so many other underlying issues going on in both of us that needed to be addressed that were just being exacerbated by trying to fit into these boxes. Mm. I mean, well, both of our spiritual lives suffered because of this. You know, because it just couldn't understand this good thing from God was just causing like more issues. Mm-hmm. You know, it's supposed to be this good thing. And we were just, we were struggling and we didn't know what else to do. Yeah. I feel like, isn't sex kind of like byproduct or kind of like a symptom of... Indicator? Yeah, of having like a healthy relationship. Yeah, exactly. Like, yes. it will naturally happen Yeah, if you're like... 
in a healthy If you both feel safe and loved. Yeah. And, and like, so treating sex like, oh, we need to. Uh-huh. And like, I've never been married, so I don't know what I'm talking about. But it just seems like it's just kind of like. If you have a problem with loading the dishwasher, mm-hmm. you can have, a, like, you can keep arguing about the dishwasher mm-hmm. and going back and forth, but there's something going on underneath that's causing that to be such a problem. Right. Because that, it's not a huge problem. It's like, it, w- it would be minuscule if you could find out what the root is underneath and exactly. what the root is underneath is a bunch of fear. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, and that's why, like, sometime we'll have uh, another whole episode on, like, relationships and stuff, and then I'll bring in the other book that's really helped us called How We Love. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Yeah, we should create, like, a library page on uh-huh. our website. Recommended Reading Book mm-hmm. Club with Marge and Lisa. Yeah, because yeah. I've, I've quoted some books. Yeah. Like, we've quoted some books uh, recently in the past that I wanted to put out there. Right. Some of them... Yeah really need to be promoted and then we'll have like another page of books not to read yeah because i got a bunch of those too (laughs) (laughs) or read them so you can see why not to like promote them yeah to compare because we're not trying to censor anybody everyone can come to a conclusion in their own right mind because god has given us all the ability to cognitively function in some way right so you're smart use your use your noodle for good yeah, I mean, one of the quotes that I underlined from the Great Sex Rescue here, they have a word to women, and it says, Your experience matters. God gave you discernment. You're allowed to use it. When you read something or hear something, you don't need to believe it just because it came from a Christian leader. Look for Jesus in what they're saying, and if he's not there, discard it. So anytime well, you're reading anything, yeah. use that filter. You know, But especially these marriage books. Um, can you, can you expound on that? Because apparently we need to. I mean, being Christ-like and being biblical can be two different things. What do you mean by that? Well, uh, so there's a lot of concepts in the Bible that are, uh, they're descriptive. They're not prescriptive can you give, for life. Oh. You know. Say that again. Descriptive kind of just describes the conditions in which something happened in the Bible, you know, okay. like uh, one of like an example being how the Israelites were like, we look at, at it now. I mean, they were stupid, mm-hmm. you know, they went off and they did a lot of stuff, objectively stupid, objectively stupid stuff that God, you know, had specifically asked them not to do. <laughs> Cheated on me <laughs> when I specifically asked you not to. <laughs> That's God talking to the Israelites, you know? Uh, We need the meme. Gia, make us a meme. Yeah, get on that. But yeah, that's not the Bible saying, go out and do all these dumb things that you see the Israelites doing, you know? That's describing these things, saying, hey, look, God has something better. Mm -hmm. God calls you to relationship with him. And then see all this dumb stuff that the Israelites did? Jesus came to fix all that, you know? Jesus came so that that didn't separate us from him anymore. You know, and so Jesus lived this life and uh, gave us this example so that we can look at how he interacts with the world and with other people. And then we can learn from that and we can take what we see in his life and we can compare it to the rest of his word, which is the Bible. And we can say, okay. These are the elements that God wants me 
to emulate because I see them in his life. And these are the elements that are, they exist because people suck, you know, and God's working with broken vessels, Mm -hmm. you know. So just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean that it's prescriptive for our life. And that's what she was talking about, how we have discernment, you know. We see a lot of mistreatment of women in the Bible. We see a lot of objectification. But we also see women being... So now I'm getting into the feminism issue again. (laughs) It's all tied in. It's all... Yeah. I mean, we see women being strong and taking leadership. And we see them, you know, laying down their lives. And... Uh, absolutely like serving others, serving Christ. These are the things that he wants us to emulate because he did them too. We see women, even in the Old Testament, being examples of Christ. And of course, men too. And I'm just saying we can take these things that align with the life of Christ and we can make them a part of our lives. And then we can see these other things and we can say, no, God has better for us. So, and that's what I'm talking about, like, with sex, too. We see a lot of these things being promoted that are not Christ-like. You know, treating women as objects within their marriage for male sexual gratification. That completely disregards her soul and her humanity. And it disregards maybe some of the issues that she might have, like, physical, emotional, spiritual, that might keep her from being able to have this kind of connection at this time that maybe need to be addressed. Uh, One of the other things Sheila says here uh, is that sex has been taught primarily through a male lens, mostly by male authors and by male speakers at marriage conferences. Women's experiences have been largely overlooked or ignored, while women are seen as tools to help men get what they want. That's not Christian, and it's not of Jesus. And she goes on to say that, you know, men are people too. And they have a lot of struggles that are not being addressed. They don't want their wives, you know, the good guys, good married men don't want their wives worried and burdened by these issues and that they want to live like Jesus. Men have feelings and men need emotional connection. And a lot of time that gets left out of the conversation. Yeah, because men aren't supposed to have emotions. Right. Well, they can have sexual emotions and they can have rage you know yeah <laughs> a lot of and i'm speaking like from talking right. with other guys yeah and they don't like that either no that's the yeah. internalized message that they have received and that, that is which is extremely harmful extremely harmful yeah. and damaging to them and their marriages mm-hmm. and god has so much better yeah for I, us i feel so sorry for my male friends who have trouble crying or Uh uh-huh any like showing emotion and like things that need to come out you know that are like they're so shamed when exactly when they do that right and they're effeminate when i mean let's let's look at jesus again you know there's a very famous bible verse jesus wept we completely skip over how powerful that is that jesus the example of all that we're supposed to be wept fairly easily you know, had very strong emotions publicly, mm-hmm. you know, but was still God. Emotions are godly. And God gave them to us so that relationship can be possible. You can't have a relationship with anybody else, including him, without emotions. And Correct. so when anybody 
is squelching them. That's shutting down what God wants to do in your life. So you need to understand what's going on and maybe use it as a gauge, you know, to say, hey, something is happening in me or to me that needs to be addressed, but not to be ashamed of it. One of the things that always really caused me a lot of confusion, and we've talked about how confusion makes me angry. And I mean, in exploring like what my emotions are and what they mean, this is one that has come up a lot. Is how confusion makes me angry. Because you're told over and over again that dating will like degrade your purity, right? Because you're you're gonna put yourself in these situations that are gonna be tempting and you might mess up, right? You might lose your purity and no longer be pure. But at the same time, you go to a different class and the subject is something different, you're told that you are a filthy sinner right? In need of God's redeeming sacrifice on the cross. You're the one that put Jesus on the cross. So literally growing up, get these two conflicting messages. Am I pure or am I gross? Which one? So that's why like part of my brain just really shut down to this whole purity idea anyway, because I just, I could not reconcile that they could both be true. And so I landed more on the side of, you know, I'm a sinner, right? Because I could relate to that a little bit more, I guess. But still, I go and I keep hearing these messages. And, you know, I see everybody around me not questioning it. And so then, I mean, when you go into marriage like that, it doesn't exactly set you up for success. Mm. Yeah, I can imagine. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the same thing was being taught to Tim. And so you get two little idiots together that believe all kinds of like really conflicting things and tell them, all right, go procreate Mm -hmm. (laughs) without any instruction or really preparation other than a couple of sex scenes and some R-rated movies that I... You know, I allowed to like degrade my purity. Like I was so self-righteous thinking I will not watch an R-rated movie that has any like language or sex or I was fine with violence, violence, gore. That didn't bother me. You know, that's that's more holy than exactly sex. Right. Yeah. Any of those other like any sex or whatever had to shut that down. To run away. So I, you know, I see very, I have very limited experience as far as this goes because I wanted to stay pure even though I didn't really believe in it. Hmm. I could at least go into marriage thinking, well, at least I haven't seen a penis yet, so I got that. Mm-hmm. I'm fine. <laughs> I'm fine. I'm good. I'm pure before God because I haven't. I don't know. I've accepted his sacrifice for salvation, mm-hmm. and I haven't seen a penis. Mm-hmm. So, this is as good as I'm going to get. Yeah, that's interesting. Because it's all very, um, it's called purity culture, mm-hmm. because it's not anything but that. It's just kind of like a bunch of random 
not random. It's a bunch of rules that yeah were put in place for a reason. Uh huh. What our rules are. But then, like when you're a little nerd that bases your whole acceptance in life around following these rules, and then you get married and you're just supposed to instantly discard all this. Now all of these rules don't apply. Seriously, messes with your head. Yeah. You know. So I mean, years of trying to deconstruct this. How know. many years would you say you've been? I mean, awake. Gosh, I mean, we've been married for 20 years. It's probably, it was a struggle for a good 10, at least. And some of that still lingers, you know? Some of that, 20 years in, we are still trying to deconstruct. Um, So, like, 10 years ago, you, like, snapped out of it? No, I did not snap out of anything. Mm. it, It was, like, the beginning of the process. Of, I still haven't completely snapped out of a lot of it, you know? I can say vagina and penis now, so that's progress. But no, I literally, you know, when you just, your whole life is based on being good, you know, and being okay and staying on this side of the line. Yeah. To have the line suddenly removed does not set you up for any sort of healthy dynamic in adult life. Mm-hmm. That's good. <laughs> I don't know what to say to that. <laughs> I don't either. Um, so the you talk ad- now, Marge. <laughs> yeah, you're like, <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> um, so the title of the episode is "Sex is Not a Bad Word," and right. I, and like we talked about connotations with sex in the church and stuff. Yeah, and purity culture. And that kind of thing. I I wanted to touch on sexuality and my experience with church. Sex is only preached from the pulpit in regards to sexual immorality. Mm-hmm. Um, it I've never been. I can't remember a time where it was preached in a way that was like sex is a good thing between you and your wife or you and your husband. You know, mm-hmm. like. It's been it's been taught don't be sexually immoral, mm-hmm. but like also and be available if you're a woman. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to keep it open to like both genders here, mm-hmm. um, because we're talking about sex, we're not talking about feminism. <laughs> I have to remind myself. I know yeah. <laughs> we keep talking about that, like which is fine. That's they're they're that's a huge part of it. Adjacent. Yeah, yeah. but yeah. um, like so, it's it's no it's. It's taught, don't be sexual, don't be sexually immoral. Well, no, I mean, I think you just kind of made a slip that reveals some truth. It is presented like, don't be sexual. Mm. You know? That is absolutely how it comes across. Yeah. If you're if you're not married, don't be sexual. That's the message. Mm. Mm-hmm. Shove all that down until the day you're married and then let it loose. And tell me how you're supposed to do that. Anyway, keep going. <laughs> Uh, I was going to say, like, don't be, it's taught, like, don't be sexually immoral, and but don't talk about it. Don't talk about sex. It's like, well, mm-hmm. I think maybe one of those things could be causing some of those sexual immoralities if we're not talking about Absolutely. sex mm-hmm. in a healthy way. Because just like communication, like, yep. you want to talk about how to communicate with people uh, according to how Christ communicated with people and how he dealt with sinners because he, everyone he interacted with was a sinner and exactly um so 
you know, I think of him talking with the prostitute, like, mm-hmm. um, and then I think of people like Christians going to protests and kind of shouting from the streets, you know, like anti-abortion or mm. anti-LGBT or mm. anti, or they're like pro-gun or what, whatever, you know, mm-hmm. they're, they go out and think that they're serving the Lord in these ways. And like Jesus, the only people he reprimanded, well, he, I shouldn't say that, um, he cast the Pharisees out. He cast out the sellers of the temple, mm-hmm. and then the lost he approached with kindness and compassion, mm-hmm. and he went and um, talked with the prostitute. He talked with um, people who were hurting and people who need help, and he said, let the children come to me. That was so mm-hmm. against what the culture was saying. He wanted to talk with women, and mm-hmm. he he washed his disciples' feet. That was like why would in his culture like that was a huge disgrace mm-hmm. so like so in in terms of like modern day culture like there are things that we are going to be doing as followers of Jesus that are against the culture and um i think that if we're going to really follow Jesus instead of playing religion and that I agree with everything you were saying about whole the whole, you do this, you do this. Um, I ke- I kept hearing while you were talking, like I was just reminded of like this is the law, these are the rules, and you must follow the rules. And I would define religion as Jesus plus rules, mm. and mm. so that's like it's not even Jesus anymore. It's just rules, mm. really, according to yeah your understanding of the Bible, and that's how religion gets played out mm-hmm. because religion. And then you get different sects of religion, sex with a T and a C in there. But um, you get different sects of religion with different, like slightly different rules according to what people mm-hmm. are comfortable with. Yeah. So um, I think that if you're going to preach one way of sex or one way of um, anything is really harmful because yeah. Jesus, he just, he wasn't like that. Like he wasn't, he, he did Yes, very much speak the truth. He did quote the mm-hmm. Old Testament. He is he does have total authority and the uh, truth is never changing. Truth is the constant here. But anyway, Jesus he didn't he didn't heal anyone the same way in exactly the same way. Hmm. He touched people differently. Hmm. Um like and I, I have to believe it's because it was it wasn't on anything according to how he was feeling in the moment or something. It, it's like um, but I have to believe it was not on his account that he interacted with people differently, but it was on the account of the person that he would act differently. And what they needed. And what him. they needed from him, yeah. how they felt loved and how they mm-hmm. felt seen, or mm-hmm. if they were a visual person or if they were a physical person, or mm-hmm. like somewhere in between, he knew exactly how to meet yeah. with them, how to touch their lives in some way, because that's what Jesus has done with me. and. Mm. Like, he's revealed himself to me in a different way than he's revealed himself to you. Mm-hmm. But he's the same Jesus. Yeah. And to me, that's like, that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think with sex mm-hmm. and not talk, and not talking about sex in a healthy way mm-hmm. is really damaging to sex in general and people mm-hmm. because yeah. people are the people who are having sex. So <laughs> it's like kind of common sense. 
it's obvious, like, yeah, sexuality is, like, a huge topic right now. It's a huge topic right now everywhere but church. So, mm. it's like... Yeah. And, Good um, point. I think sexuality is preached from the pulpit as it's between a man and a woman. Mm. And that's very countercultural mm-hmm. right now. Yes. Um, and... Coming from someone who has experienced a lot of confusion mm. with regards to sexuality, um, no one was there for me, mm. and I felt very alone because I was alone, and it wasn't anything that was talked about. It was a thing that was shame, having same-sex attraction, mm. and it wasn't. It was just kind of like a, you know, don't do that. Mm-hmm. Stop feeling that way. Yeah, stop it. Stop being that way. Yeah. Pray it away or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, I couldn't. And mm-hmm. I can't. Mm-hmm. And um, God hasn't called me to that life. Mm-hmm. He's, You said emotions are godly. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, hmm. Because it doesn't feel like it all the time. You know? Sometimes it feels like confusing mm-hmm. and like why am I feeling this way and that kind of thing but I didn't have anyone to talk to mm-hmm. about it because no one was talking about even normal sex like mm-hmm. you know yeah quote unquote normal sex <laughs> whatever that means but um I didn't have anyone to talk to either and I know you said like you went and tried to talk to people and they were like really awkward about it and would just leave or whatever it's like um so I don't have like a 10-step program of like here's what we should do to make this easier to talk about because I'm still very uncomfortable talking about it, but I'm much more comfortable talking about it now because I had those really awkward conversations years Mm -hmm. ago Mm -hmm. with people who were close to me Mm -hmm. and, and I can talk about it now, you know, like I'm, I am open with people I'm close to. And, um, even with the podcast, like I'm much more comfortable talking about it now because it's not some sort of shameful thing to hide that you're attracted to someone who's not conventional but I want to say as well like I'm leaving my sexuality up to God basically mm-hmm. I don't know if that's the right way of saying that um like I'm not like practicing homosexuality just because I have a feeling you know I don't know I just want like other people to be aware that like this lifestyle does exist where you can have these emotions, really strong emotions. Like, I don't know how to say this for other people. A lot of the LGBTQ community has come from church and they've been shamed by people who are very judgmental. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those people are in church and mm-hmm. or have that mindset of this is the conventional way of doing it. This mm-hmm. is the... Um, these things are black and white. It is supposed to be a man and a woman. Mm. You are a man or a woman. And mm-hmm. I think there are a lot of people who are really hurting. Mm-hmm. I know there are a lot of people who are really hurting. I'm one of them. You know, mm-hmm. I was one of them. And I didn't have anyone to talk to about it. And when I did talk about it, it was like, people would judge me, you know. Mm-hmm. So I didn't want to be that girl on the stage who was like, yelled off, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, um... Nobody like does. I was being, mm-hmm. I was being looked at differently. Uh-huh. I was being treated differently, and it's because we're creating a god in our own image and making him very, very small mm-hmm. um, compared to his actual glory, which is way bigger than we could ask or think mm-hmm. to even understand. 
Um, because when, when you try to make sense of God, you've created a God. Mm-hmm. And yeah. God does not make sense <laughs> to us. We, we are finite beings with a very finite yeah. amount of knowledge and wisdom. Like an earthworm trying to comprehend human lives. Yeah. You know, yeah. we're never going to get it. Like, how could we understand... With the whole um, creating a God in your own image or making things very simple, like, we're speaking from, like, personal experience here of mm-hmm. trying to fit into that mm-hmm. and not succeeding at all. Mm-hmm. And um, realizing God doesn't call us to fit in a box. Yeah, and realizing that God doesn't fit in a box. Yeah. And, like... That's part of being made in His image. People are really messy, and yeah. and He likes that. Yeah, we're really messy. He's God not, can handle it. He's not embarrassed by us. Nope. He's well, I not, mean, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't really no, 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 you. I just keep thinking about like, uh, like hearing you talk. I just keep thinking if you're attracted to women, it's like appreciating something that God made. Like God, God thinks women are beautiful too. Mm-hmm. You know, it is. It's like a um, like God agrees with you. I, yeah, yeah. Women are great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I know what you mean. Yeah. I think. For me, anyway, with um, the whole same-sex attraction, um, everyone's story is different, but a lot of women, anyway, I know, or men, too, a lot of um, people who are gender-confused mm-hmm. are have dealt with a lot of hurt in their past mm-hmm. from a young age, mm-hmm. whether it was, like, a molesting or some sort of, like... Some sort of trauma. Yeah, some sort of trauma uh, regarding gender. There are a lot of stories out there like that, mm-hmm. and a lot of stories of don't talk about it and that kind of thing. But anyway, with my story of same-sex attraction, it's like, it's not that I'm not attracted to men. Yeah, my story comes from a lot of hurt regarding mm-hmm. men, and then people telling me that I wasn't a girl, and a lot of hurt there that I didn't know what to do with, and mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Like. And then finding solace in women because those were the only people I was really allowed to be around mm-hmm. and then have connection with um, because of the whole separation of boy mm-hmm. and girl. Like Looking back, it, I can make sense of like mm-hmm. why I would feel that way mm-hmm. and why it was so important to me to have connection because I didn't have any for mm-hmm. a long time and I was like neglected. And God made you for a connection. And God made me for a connection, and then, yeah. And especially I, as a kid, like, you can't recognize that, like, your trauma is being dismissed, necessarily. You don't yeah. even know it's trauma. You don't, yeah. You don't know what the heck's going on. Yeah. But, um, like, that's the opposite of what Jesus does. You yeah. know, like, he sees the trauma and he loves us in it. And so when, you know, like, the church or whatever is mm-hmm. dismissive or uh, just otherwise uncaring dismissive i would say they're they're like disgusted Um, Uh, yeah i I would use a stronger word yeah no i think you're right you should use a stronger word Uh uh-huh yeah because straight up grossed out that this would could possibly be happening you know Uh, and that's what keeps it in the dark you know that's what allows it to continue yeah is not talking about it because i guarantee you there are people in any church that like, could relate and could have talked with you about it and could yeah. have helped yeah. if they had felt like there was freedom to do so or if they weren't, you know, shutting themselves down. Yeah. 
I wanted to say before I moved on with from that was um it made sense that when I found connection it was something that I held on to so, so tightly and like mm-hmm. obsessed over because it was new mm-hmm. and and it gave me value all of a sudden mm-hmm. as a person yeah like I'm not just here for no reason yeah and then and those people were girls so mm-hmm. it was like it didn't really matter it was just like all about them all of a sudden mm-hmm. um so anyway you're not disgusting or wrong for having a feeling right and exactly it's like there's like you know christian cliche of like it's it's not the anger that's the sin it's like what you do with the anger it's not the thought that's the sin it's what you do with the thought mm-hmm. it's like well yeah but also like it's not that easy either like yeah that's another blanket statement god would love to wrestle with you about stuff that you're unsure of and he sure as heck has wrestled with me i've wrestled with him you're like mm-hmm. I used to have insomnia really bad, and I would go outside and, like, just, like, kind of walk around, and the moon was, like, the only comfort for me for a while, because everyone else was asleep, and it just felt like that was my reality, and I took kind of, like, solace in that moment, and also it was extremely painful, um, because it was alone, um, but I remember, like, being out in the yard, what the heck, God, you know, like, why would you want me here? And that those kinds of questions and everything. Like, God of Abraham, what do you have for me? Why am I here? You know? Like, mm-hmm. And it's a lot of emotion and anger and hurt and depression mm-hmm. and all that stuff. So, anyway, I felt very alone in talking about anything. So, fucking just saying the same thing over and over again. But, like, to a point where it was like, if I didn't have, I couldn't have connection unless I had connection with a woman apparently Mm. and because i've never had that connection with a man and um it's terrifying to me to think even of trying that because i know like in my head like i would never even do that because it's never like it's not even a possibility that something like that would ever happen and i don't even know if i would want it to but i think maybe i would i don't know this is where the confusion comes in Mm -hmm. it's like i do want connection this is a big conversation, but um, I know I would have benefited a lot from something like this where people were openly talking about their issues. And if anyone is out there like who feels alone in gender confusion or anything like that, like I'm right there with you and you're not alone. And there are plenty of us who are going through very similar things. And I don't know, like... I don't know exactly what to say other than like I get it and mm-hmm. I don't know I just I'm pro genuine mm-hmm. um if that helps <laughs> with anything um so if you're genuinely attracted to someone the bible says don't lie mm-hmm. those attractions those feelings while feelings come and go truth remains constant which is God, and God's the only constant in our lives, so whatever emotions are coming in your marriage, outside of marriage, in your sexuality, we always have to go back to that rock, that foundation of what is true, what does God say is true, because what everyone else says is true isn't. You know what I mean? And what God says is true is that he sees you. Yeah. And he loves you. Yeah, that's truth. Um and he accepts you the way you are, 
He made you the way you are. He made you the way you are for a reason, for a purpose, yeah. for his glory. Because he likes it. Yeah. Uh, with the word accepts, <laughs> mm-hmm. Mom and I were talking about this as well, like Jesus accepts you just the way you are. Mm-hmm. That word accept has like a ton of connotations with it in the church as well. Yes, yes it does. Because it's like, well, he accepts you, but he doesn't accept your sin. You know, it's like you are enmeshed with your mm-hmm. sin. He accepts you. Right. Then you in are the case, not... he's like, oh, yeah, you're great. Uh, now go over here and change. Also, you are not your sin. Yeah. You are Lisa. Mm-hmm. You know? And, like, Jesus came and died for Lisa. Mm-hmm. And he died for your sins. Yeah. Because you could never have taken that punishment. Mm-hmm. He didn't want you to take that punishment, which is separation from him. Right. And he wanted to have relationship with you. That's the whole point of Jesus. Because he loves you. He doesn't... You can't love somebody while at the same time wanting them to be completely different. Or give up parts of themselves. Absolutely. I mean, he wants what's best for us. Mm -hmm. And um, he is for us. He's pro-Lisa. He is more pro-you than you. He is is for your good. He is always thinking of your Mm -hmm. eternal soul. Well... And I was going to tie it together. He is pro-sex. Mm-hmm. God is pro-sex. Yeah. Because like, he made this good thing, and he wants good things for us. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We we messed it up. I think a concluding thought for me would be that in thinking about things so polarizing, mm-hmm. like Jesus is a lot more messy than that. Mm-hmm. And I think... We've been careful, even in saying any of this, that we don't want to say statements that are just like short little statements, like "why submit to your husbands," that kind of thing. Or like, yeah, you're not going to hear that. <laughs> yeah, we're, like we're not going to just give you kind of like one size fits all. We're not about solutions. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're about like talking. We're about talking being real. Her. Yeah, yeah. We're about being there for each other. Mm-hmm. And I mean, really. Celebrating what God is doing, I think, you know, like he's really redeemed a lot of these negative connotations for us, you know, surrounding these things that he loves. He created everything that we've done so far, you know, self-esteem, feminism, sex. God made those things. God gave them to us. For his glory. For his glory. Yeah. Yeah. You know? They're good things. We're not, we're not doing this just to prop ourselves up. We're saying, what is Jesus really about? He's about these things because he's about us. Like, that's why he lived his life mm-hmm. was for us. This is part of us. It's part of it. So let's stop making it a bad thing. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Let's stop making it an easy thing to comprehend. Yeah. As well. Yeah. yeah. Stop slapping labels on things for the benefit of our earthworm brains. True. <laughs> That's really good. So if you want, you could um, record yourself. Our Lord Beer Me Strength audience is invited to record a voicemail message. Send it to us. If we like it, we'll interact with it. We might play it on the podcast and answer your question or uh, otherwise interact with your voice that you send to us. And if we don't like it, we'll delete it and act like it never happened. So be nice to us, because then you'll have a better chance of getting on the podcast. Yes. Be cool, my babies. Send us an audio file. Or an email. Give us a nice long email. So we have something to read. Because I get bored. Please talk to us. Yeah, please talk to us, because 
It's weird if you don't. And we need that social interaction in our lives. We depend on you. And we give so much, you know. Like, we're over here doing this podcast out of the goodness of our hearts, okay? All we ask. We don't need to be loved. I don't I don't need to be loved. I have to be loved? <laughs> it's not like my need to be praised. I just, I want you to be afraid of how much you love me. And then... Be compelled to send me examples of that love in an audio file or an email. That's yeah. all I ask. You originally said voicemail message. Right. But then I clarified. So we don't actually have a phone number for the voicemail, but it would basically be the same thing. If we they want just, your voice in we, the mail. Yeah, send it to us. And we want you to say a message. Mm-hmm. Record it onto a cassette like a weirdo and mail it to us in the snail mail. Don't do that. Okay, bye. Okay, bye. Any other concluding thoughts? Uh, no, I'm just glad that we fixed everything here today. Yeah. We have completely solved all of the issues surrounding sex. Okay. Yeah. I, for one, feel much better. That's what she said. <laughs> <laughs>